What's going on, y'all? Welcome. This is Improvement Theory. My name is Rodrigo. These are my co-hosts, Jesse and Oscar. And today we have a special guest for y'all, Keaton Martinick. Um, what's the question for today, Jesse? Take it away. All right. So first, uh, Keaton, uh, we wanted to ask you, go ahead and give us like a general small interview of like who you are and what you do. Okay. Um, my name's Keaton. I am a PhD student at ISU. Um, I'm studying nuclear engineering. Uh, I did physics for my undergraduate and other graduate degrees, and I just pretty much do nuclear physics for a living and a little bit of robotics too. Um, there's a local firm here out in Pocatello. Shout out to Madonna Research. Super cool little place. But uh, yeah, work there. Just pretty much stay in my room all the time, as you guys probably know. So yeah. All right, awesome, man. Um, and uh, I want to ask, what got you into into physics yeah. in the first place what made you want to do this for a living um well my dad's a physicist and so it was kind of like a really didactic relationship growing up uh i would ask him for help on homework and get like a 40 minute lecture as to why the paper was even there so it was just kind of always been sort of driven to i don't know physics a little bit and just the functions of things physics is the study of motion and matter right mm-hmm. um and so why things work the way they work and why things are the way they are on a really fundamental level. And I guess the question has always been why, and that's kind of what I've been trying to answer myself. So why do things do the way things they do? So uh, I I wanted to add, like, did did he, uh, did he teach you this as like at a young age or did this like something you kind of like gradually learned over time with him or how does that work? I mean, always at a really young age with my father, uh, always being taught things, I guess, but it was primarily physics. And then I got into nuclear engineering kind of independently of his influence, I would say. Um, yeah. And I just did that because I had graduated with a bunch of physics degrees and I didn't really know what to do with anything. I felt like I knew a little like a little bit about a lot of things and didn't really specialize in anything. And uh, what better way to kind of help out the world than look into one of the best renewable energy sources. So um, that's pretty cool. So once you graduated, um, why what made it feel like, I guess you weren't prepared, right? Is that what you said? Mm hmm yeah so so what made it feel like you weren't prepared for the real world i guess that made you want to go on and get a more advanced degree Mm -hmm. so physics really covers a very broad spectrum of topics from just fundamental mechanics electricity and magnetism thermodynamics uh and then everything that came after the geniuses of the i guess of the the passion so like relativity and uh quantum physics they're really all intricate things and you know i never really took a whole degree or got a whole degree on any one specific thing i got them on a bunch of little things and not to even mention astronomy which is a huge part of it all so after that i was kind of like okay i don't really specialize in anything i'm i'm just kind of a i know a little bit about a lot of things right and that's kind of how i felt and i i could see it in like the electrical engineers that i had as friends and they were graduating and they just knew their shit about like electrical engineering, right? They they knew how to wire stuff up. And sure, I knew a little bit about that. But like I said, a little bit, not enough to go into like an interview, balls blazing, kind of just thinking I knew my stuff. I guess so it was a confidence thing. And yeah, this is that. just kind of my way of reinforcing that. Uh, yeah. so, so like, so, did it kind of make you feel like, uh, oh, like, like, like you didn't get like the technical side out of it as much as like they did to kind of make you feel like, oh, crap, like, why didn't I get this kind of part? I mean, a little bit. I think that what it is, is that regardless of the type of education that you get, um, there's a certain, there's fundamental like pillars of what it takes for someone to actually learn something 
for example, there can be a lot of vocational schools on a lot of high energy physics apparatuses. And I guarantee that those people probably know more about how this laboratory works than I would, you know what I mean? And they're just vocational students, you know what I mean? They just went to trade school. And so there's a definitely a hands-on aspect to it. Um, but as far as noticing exactly what it was, I think it was just the fundamental quantity of information that they got to like intake on their degree journey and then apply it to all of the problems that they had, you know, throughout their uh, yeah. academic career. And, you know, the homework only gets more advanced and those are kind of like the closest things that you're going to get to real world problems, I think. So, um, yeah, they just had a lot more of it than I did. And so. Yeah. So have you heard of imposter syndrome? I have. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And what, what do you I think? Do you think like that has it. anything to do with it? Like, <laughs> no matter how prepared you are, um, you never feel good enough? Yeah, no, I think there's a lot of uh, credibility to the concept of imposter syndrome. I definitely have experienced it even though empirical evidence says something like, I mean, I don't know. I feel like we all experience it too a lot of times, but we're able to do it. You know what I mean? We've graduated each year. We've progressed in life. Yeah. We're, we're doing it. But regardless how it is, is that, um, yeah, I don't know. And I think it's a humbling thing not to try to think too big of myself, which is kind of what kind of contributes to my thought of imposter syndrome. But I saw a good graphic on it where it was mm -hmm. like, what you think everyone else knows and everyone's kind of in this little club and what you know but i think the reality of it is that um everyone brings their own pieces of information to the table right so you may not know everything but no one does either you know mm -hmm. and you have some intrinsic insight as an individual that you can give to a group of uh right. i don't know academics colleagues coworkers, anything like that you know what i mean like just because they may know a little bit more you have some knowledge even if it's not necessarily immediately applicable that will influence your ability to not necessarily uh, be an outsider in that group. And you can have some value to it. And mm -hmm. so with, when it yeah. comes to imposter syndrome, I think that, fuck it, we're all impostors, right? But yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I think that we contribute regardless of that. So right. yeah. I'm sorry if I'm not allowed to use profanity on this podcast. Oh, it's it's all good. Are, it's go fine, it, man. man. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So I actually wanted to ask you, like, do you think, like, after you get into, like, a certain level, do you think, like, teacher-student uh, teacher relationships change after you go through undergrad and your graduate degree? Do you think it's changed a lot? Uh, I've, de I've noticed the dynamic change a little bit. I mean, just go from going to, from my undergrad to my uh, first graduate degree, that was kind of like, yeah, I felt like my professor knew that I was there for a single task. I did my master's thesis on astronomy-based stuff. And he knew that I had like a, a purpose there, right? And so that was kind of like yeah. not the same as someone who's just trying to get out into the real world immediately, maybe. Uh, not to say that there was anything wrong with that, but I think that teachers kind of appreciate when someone wants to really like apply themselves to a project that they're passionate about and trying to seek fun funding for. So uh, I noticed that there was a little bit more laissez-faire kind of approach to things, whereas right. it's more... You can figure it out. I'm going to trust you to figure it out, but I want you to explain it to me at some point rather than prior to that. Uh, it's more or less just being spoon fed everything that your teacher tells you and you're just going to accept it as holy <laughs> like testament or something like that. I don't know. But yeah. And they expect you to do that some of the times, but yeah. Yeah. So like that, that kind of made me want to go to my next question of like, do you think like students should doubt their teachers a little bit more? I, I mean, like, you know, in some cultures, like, teachers are strict people and you should take whatever they say as word as fact. You know what I mean? Like, do you think people should doubt their teachers a lot more? You know, when it comes to how to be a really good teacher and it's harder in the sciences because the sciences are so factual. Right. But I think mm -hmm. that 
a teacher should tell you how to think, not really what to think. And they should, so they should supply you with the tools on what it is that you need to think critically, right? Uh, and unfortunately, when it comes to the sciences, I think those tools really are facts. You know what I mean? They're fundamental right. principles. They are laws of nature, if you will. And um, when it comes to how you want to progress, yeah, I think you can accept a couple of those things and not really see too many backfires. But when you get into more uh, liberal arts degrees, and nothing against liberal arts degrees, but there's a little bit more uh, conjecture and subjective uh, stuff going on there, right? And so while, while it's not necessarily like appropriate for a liberal arts professor to tell you facts, right? And, and I don't know a lot about liberal arts, so I could be like sounding super ignorant right now. But uh, yeah, you know what I'm trying to say? More or less, they just don't, they shouldn't be telling you facts they should be telling you things that make you think right right mm -hmm. and giving you questions to think about i don't know so yeah so i think that students depending on your area and the explicit nature of what it is that you're being told definitely question things especially if it's like societal or anything like that in nature so right so yeah. you shouldn't so should you be able to question factual things um because that seems kind of common in like in the yeah. media and stuff where the people are depicted uh, completely going against uh what science states and whatnot um, uh -huh. So do you think the idea of going against science um, works out in the end? Um, do you think it's beneficial for society at all? Well, okay, so one of the fundamental like pillars of science, right, is that it's got evidence to support it. And so right, if you right. question a fact, you're questioning, what you're questioning is the evidence behind it, right? And so what a teacher could be telling you is, okay, like, this phenomenon exists, right? And you could say, okay, well, I don't necessarily agree with that or... I don't know, the earth is flat, because that's the biggest right. one, right? Uh, mm -hmm. And then they'll say, okay, well, this is why it's not flat, right? It's a sphere, right, sort of. So uh, I think that there's phases of denial, and that while you can deny something outright when you don't have exposure to the evidence about it, that's one thing. But when you're like blatantly looking at evidence, and there are some times where there's uh, conflicting evidence, and I think that that's where like yeah. statistics kind of gets into play, but not when it comes to the, is the earth flat? You know what I mean? So those right. people are just maintaining their <laughs> ignorance out of some. And right. I've heard that some of them are even getting like free rides to space. So I'm kind of convinced that it's all like some ploy right. just to for them to do that somewhat. Yeah, but I don't know. Yeah. But so like, yeah, question things when you can listen to evidence, but still try to make sure that it makes sense to you. I think as you have a duty to yourself to do that. Mm -hmm. And yeah. So, so like you were, I was going to ask, like you were like kind of a teacher, right? Like you definitely taught classes mm -hmm. and like, you yeah. know, I, my question is like, what, what do you see though as like a, as like a good example of a good student like that you've seen in your experience? Good example. Someone that I guess wants to really emerge themselves in the topic, I suppose. Um, yeah. I mean, and a lot of it comes down to work. I really judge people based upon how much work they do, which isn't a quantity like, a well, it doesn't really say anything about them because there could be really intelligent people who are just lazy uh but that's kind of how i judge them because a lot of my teaching experience has been grading and mm -hmm. the reality is that if you're not doing the homework like chances are you're really not reading and if you're not <laughs> reading then like how immersed are you in the topic right uh right. is it pretty noticeable kind of, when people do that sometimes but i mean <laughs> i don't know and i've seen really passionate students who are really lazy and i think that a mm -hmm. lot of students are kind of possibly like that uh which is totally fine. I mean, your passion can get you pretty far as long as you just keep making sure that you have some, because it becomes a level where you can't even really keep up with the jargon anymore, right? Yeah. And if you're not making, at the very least, making sure that that's something that you're uh, 
able to do how can you have a conversation about something that you're passionate about or wanting to learn you know what right. i mean uh yeah so do you think like it comes down to like like motivation and like the motivation to learn i think so i think so but i mean you we have to be like inspired to learn about a lot of things so teachers sometimes especially ones on tenure can be uh reluctant to engage the students because they're not going to get fired anyways right they're just going to kind of <laughs> yeah. maintain their high ass salaries and everything else so that's one thing but uh i've i've had some awesome teachers and they've really made me want to pursue a topic more and i think that as a teacher there should be some sort of obligation to do that right right so yeah. so, so it's a two way. do you have any like mentors i ask my dad a lot for advice he's a cool guy he's a cool guy yeah, i like him a lot yeah but i mean i've met a lot of i've had some pretty intimate relationships with a few phds uh i guess just close friendships is what i'll say but yeah nice people and they always kind of influence me a little bit but everyone i mean even you guys right to some degree are like little mentors to me on how thanks man. different ways of life should be lived so yeah so and, like uh, do you what, rely what do you think like about oh go ahead jesse go ahead oh and i was i was just gonna say like uh do you like so like especially now that you're a phd student and all like do you rely a lot on your colleagues like is it really important to have a close connection with like the few amount of students that are in that classroom with you I think so. But I think that it's not necessary, but it's beneficial. When you can do a homework problem with someone and they're just as invested in it as you are, you know what I mean? That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of the time when you're really in a, a workplace scenario, you'll find, or even something that's really only important to you, you're the best person to solve your own problems because no one else is going to care about it to the extent that you do. You know what I mean? Uh, and so when you have people who equally feel that about the same thing, that's kind of powerful, right? And take advantage of it while you can. And I'm sure that there are smart people who are like real loners and don't necessarily need anyone to kind of collaborate with or bounce ideas off of. But I think it can only can only benefit you. And even if you are that person, you shouldn't you you yeah, you shouldn't just kind of think that you're the shit. But maybe you are and you don't need other people. But but uh you think cooperate so cooperation is obviously beneficial, right? Um mm -hmm. I think so. um but I, so you seem more, you're like very introverted, right? Maybe. Yeah. I'm just kind of, <laughs> I work, I, I work from uh, my computer desk a lot and I just read a lot sometimes. And yeah. Yeah. That. Like, yeah. Not saying, not saying like you're like want to socially isolate yourself, but like you like your time alone. Right. Um, and so yes, do I you do. think you do like your time alone? Yeah. Um, yeah. Same. <laughs> same. And uh, so if you had a choice between working in a team and working on your own, what what would you say you'd like you'd rather do? Man, every interview that I've ever been in, they always ask this question, and I never really know. Yeah. How to respond. I always try to like please everyone involved because I'm like, oh man, is this a team oriented job? Uh, I don't know. I think that if it's a team, let's do it. Uh, if I have to work alone, let's do it. I have found that in my engineering job, for the same reason that I was the sole person invested in being like in this particular project and I couldn't really ask anyone else other than yeah. my boss who's like busier than I am. It, I remember thinking on several occasions it would have been really awesome to have someone to, you know, like mentally collaborate with, at least ask and someone who shared a meaning of importance to the thing that I was working on. You know what I mean? Because you can ask anyone, call my friends from, I don't know, Texas and ask them uh, certain wiring questions and they might give me like an answer that's like, meaningful but they're they're not going to like really invest in it you know what i mean because and i don't expect them to but uh they're just not as invested in it as i am and to have multiple people invested in one thing is i think how you really get uh things moving right at least at a much faster pace mm -hmm. yeah. 
Yeah, and I've noticed so, yeah. that through side hustle. I was like, this is better to have a team. Because mm-hmm. I'm trying to do shit alone, too. I've noticed that you get more results when you have, you know, a team. Some mentors just try to get other people up. I actually a lot more. Absolutely. Like, yeah. Was so, this your guys' like collective idea to make this podcast or, or do you guys, was it one of you first? And Well, I, I just, I was like, bro, we're fucking one day. Okay. <laughs> I was just, if you're not there, we're yeah, not it kinda hap- and it happened. Cool. So. <laughs> cool. Yeah. yeah. And, and, but you know what? It worked out in the end because uh, now we have people that are like, uh, we, we, we're like all invested in this thing. We're all having like a team effort. Like it's a, it's a thing that we enjoy doing together. Nice. You know, it's, it all works out like like, you know, and that, like, that was like the name I kind of wanted to ask you is like, do you think like, is it preferable to like work alone or like with like people that, you know, that won't put in the same kind of effort at you? Like, you know, like I know how you said earlier and I kind of want to like touch on that. Like, do you think that's super important? You know, I had a friend when I was doing my undergraduate and he is a very good guy. He's super awesome. He works for Dell now, mm-hmm. but he was just oh. a really lazy dude. And <laughs> he, uh. <laughs> We were in some group projects together and he didn't really, I guess, just by sheer amount of work, didn't really pull his weight. And But I think that what he did do, even though it was very little in comparison, was mm-hmm. still pretty cool. And having him around okay. was more preferable than not having him around, even though he just mm. didn't do a lot. But yeah, I definitely, I don't know, maybe he made me laugh a little bit, right? So that was free and <laughs> That's on good. the side. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that even, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So like, are, are you a, are you a, like you a fan of like having your ideas like challenged too, like in your work field? Probably. Yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, I'm under, I'm more, like I said, I'm always under the impression that I'm like the dumbest person in the room. Right. Mm. And so when I try to claim something, if someone's not going to, rebuttal it at the very least or you know i i'm definitely instantly a little bit suspicious of their engagement uh but yeah i think so and plus it's only it can only ever benefit you to have your ideas challenged because one or two things are going to happen you're going to realize okay holy shit something's wrong with the way that i'm thinking or you're going to be able to face this challenge and still come out of it in a sense that yeah no i i definitely believe what i believe or have these ideas and i'm sticking to them because this conversation with this person only like strengthened that by how i was able to right. i don't know hold it with them and so and i never really liked that concept of like not liking certain things challenged i i grew up really religious right mm-hmm. and really? i just think yeah catholic and to never have a certain thing like your parents may not want you to be exposed to certain topics right because mm-hmm. let's say heavy metal music right they're thinking that that's going to corrupt you. Well, if that's really what's going to corrupt you, then maybe what you had like engraved in you wasn't really that strong anyways, right? And maybe if it doesn't corrupt you, then you're only more like reaffirmed to your Catholicism, right? So it, it didn't make mm-hmm. sense. And so I think that it to have that fear of being confronted or challenged is really an indication of weakness in your ideas or, yeah. you know what I mean? But I don't know. That's just kind of how I see it. So like uh, I kind of wanted to question like like so are are you like more of like a messiah like like you know that believes everything needs to have evidence is that what like kind of like you believe in or yeah and I take a lot of like highly educated people's words for things sometimes without yeah. verifying the evidence for myself but that's just because I'm somewhat lazy but uh yeah I mean I I try to stick with science as much as possible and question things awesome. when I can yeah yeah um so so you also mentioned that you were like ultra busy all the time right. Probably have mm-hmm. how many jobs do you have right now? I have three, three jobs, three, three? jobs and on top of that. Three. You know, school, your PhD True. paper, 
um whatever right um so yeah. how do you stay on top of things how do you stay on track keep up with all your work honestly this is gonna sound horrible but it's a lot of marijuana to be honest with you guys it really is it's, it's horrible <laughs> yeah, that's great advice great advice right here it slows me down sometimes but other times it really makes me like more interested in what it is that i'm trying to accomplish and so and i can look at it it's a lot of different angles and i don't know but i mean there's also just this drive of like i have to get it done and i don't know if you guys noticed but i have a lot of gray hair and so i've been sweating like peroxide due to stress for like five years now and it's just juggling things and forcing your way through it but yeah it's just kind of yeah. How do you schedule? Like, do you like write it on paper? I have yeah. a scheduling app in my phone, uh, and it reminds me to do things occasionally. Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And have you always been like this? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. I did this thing in high school called uh, the International Baccalaureate Program, which mm-hmm. was pretty much what kind of dictated the tone of my junior and senior year, and it allowed me to go into my freshman year of college as a sophomore. And it was kind of cool. Uh, and I guess there was a lot of drive in that. And I think, I, till this day, I think that I still did a little bit more homework on the regular in that program than I did now. Uh, but I don't know. Uh, there's definitely been times when I, like, wasn't doing my homework or something like that in grade school mm-hmm. or whatever. But, um, yeah. So, so, yeah. so, like, would you say, like, everything that's come together, is it, like, a mix of, like, talent and, like, discipline? Or do you think it's, like, something that you kind of just kind of kept to doing your whole time in school i don't think that there's any real talent involved with it i really think that like all the stuff that i know everyone else can learn it's kind of like in have you guys played skyrim before or fallout yeah mm-hmm. you know how you yeah. can, like see like in the skyrim analogy we'll look at like the perk trees right and how you can cl- mm-hmm. keep climbing the tree it's the same thing yeah. it really is like i've just put in i have a lot more perks than you guys because i've just literally put in the hours doing the yeah. thing you know what i mean mm-hmm. uh but you guys could always start at any point in time it's not any there's nothing really like prohibiting anyone from learning it right uh mm-hmm. i was horrible at math at some point in my life i was really? horrible at it and then i got into pre-calculus in college and i thought okay i'm either gonna like learn this and get through it or i'm just not gonna be engineer or anything like that and mm-hmm. you just do it you know what i mean you just do and at some point you kind of break that uh imposter syndrome more. and you get there a little bit yeah. more so yeah. so, so you were saying you're horrible in math and mm-hmm. you were like i have to get yeah. these calculated and that should just hate you right there and then you're just like i'm getting yeah because i got back uh gosh yeah because i had uh got into this class and i went in when i first went into college i was a philosophy major because i did a lot of drugs in high school and i was really interested in like pursuing bullshit <laughs> but uh <laughs> not, yeah and then i realized that that probably wasn't going to be for me because it was super subjective and a lot of writing and even though writing's not bad i feel like you really have to think you're the shit to think that someone's going to want to read your ideas so um unless they're scientifically based right and so then i kind of switched and so i was gosh second semester of college there was a bunch of like kids who were younger than me uh in this pre-cal class and i just i could not i remember they gave us a question on the midpoint formula which was like finding the distance between these two dots and i had no idea how the hell to do it I remember trying to cheat off this girl next to me because she knew how to do it clearly, right? She was writing very confidently. I was thinking, man, this sucks. And I got that test back or whatever, and I got like a 12 on it. And I remember thinking, damn, I just, I can't do this. You know what I mean? Like this, yeah. I have to mm-hmm. do this and uh, I can't be this like ignorant about it. And so I just kind of went to the tutoring hours. And at some point in time, it just begins to click because I was putting in the hours to it, right? And like, yeah. that's all you really have to do 
And uh, yeah, then at some point it just kind of kept building on itself and making more sense. And here I am. There's a lot of time so, and work. I don't want to say that that's the case, but yes, it's the case. Yeah. It's the case. <laughs> yeah. So, so did, did you learn anything though? Like, do you feel like you've learned some like good like experience or something when you were like doing philosophy for a bit? A little bit. When, when you first start off in philosophy, you learn how to reason really well. And I think that like logic and just uh, basic fallacies and stuff like that, mm -hmm. those are kind of important things that I think everyone should know. I think everyone should take at least one philosophy class in their lifetime because uh, it, can't, it can't do any harm to you. But um, yeah, I appreciated those things. And I think that they had a lot of application in physics. And there's this thing called metaphysics, which is kind of gets into the realms of like <sighs> things like... Fibonacci sequence -y stuff, which is very factual, right, and very true, but then people try to tie, like, some sort of spiritual meaning to this, uh, or sacred geometry or things like that, and it's it's perilous grounds to walk on, because uh, you never know if you're going to be treading bullshit or not, and you could at some point just deviate completely into theoreticals and bullshit, and a lot of theoretical physicists use logic from basic uh, wow. philosophical principles to apply this stuff and really establish the boundaries of physics. And so, yeah, I think that it's cool uh, to know. And I appreciate kind of the arguments that are like the literal arguments that can be made for things and how I know that they're solid arguments because you can identify them based upon like fallacies and other uh, needed information like to properly deduce something is taught in philosophy. And you can do that in physics. If this happens and this is another like consequence of that, then this must be the case. Can you explain oh. the Fibonacci sequence real quick? Or just like in yeah. So the Fibonacci sequence is essentially, a, it is an expansion, it is a sequence of numbers that builds upon itself in the same way that a, uh, gosh, a right angle triangle will do. So you guys have probably seen, like, have you ever seen the triangles that kind of gradually spin outward? All mm. of those triangles, I think, if I believe it's right, they share... Uh, goes what two three i don't know it off the top of my head because do you know the fibonacci off the top of your head essentially what you're seeing is, is that if you have a bunch of right triangles that are spun around each other the next mm -hmm. set of uh right triangles that precede the first one or yeah follow yeah. the first one will use terms from the first triangle to build upon itself and what you do is you get like a ever-expanding sequence uh yeah it's it's a cool thing and it's kind of just a really ever-present thing it's ubiquitous in nature i haven't really found any uses for it to be honest uh two three five eight so yeah then those must be the sums of the previous ones are influencing the next one so yeah so it's just a a really weird thing that occurs in nature to be honest with you i wish i could tell you guys more about it but uh there's a cool little triangle thing that you could look up about the fibonacci right. sequence and it'll make a little bit more sense it's just a whole bunch of right angle triangles kind of building upon each other yeah uh, but that's really what and, it is and do you know like what people are relating to spiritually with this sequence uh they divine design is the divine design. real argument that i hear wow. about it is that how could this be so ever present because it really does I, it occurs in a lot of vegetables and a lot of like well, fruits really? granule things oh. uh the shells on uh, like an actual uh like a some sort of snail that's the fibonacci sequence that spirals around it if you open up oh. the interior of that it's very kind of scary present in uh the universe it's really universal but i personally haven't like as far as applications of it i haven't really seen any but um yeah and i believe it's also referred to as like the golden ratio or something like that 
that. Oh, it's a different one. Yeah. So yeah, there's there's a whole bunch of reoccurring sequences, reoccurring sequences in nature, uh, that are just like proper ways to expand something. And you see it a lot, like in math, with things that are actually applicable, like what's called a Taylor series. And this is essentially an extension of uh, derivatives over time. And that's a very important thing. Derivatives are very fundamentally the slope of a um, okay. function, right? And so if you think about these things physically, like uh, let's say you have a position versus time graph, right? The derivative of that, the slope, right? The rate of change, the delta x, the delta position over delta time, that is your speed, right? And then if you do the same thing to your speed on a speed graph, then you get your acceleration, which is the change in velocity over change of time. And you can see these things kind of broken out into larger series and sequences and stuff that are widely wow. applicable all over the place. Uh, yeah, but and they're they're very present in nature, so they're they're useful. And some people think that like, how is it that this thing could be ever occurring? Uh, why why is that not a intellectual creator's hand in that how is that not clear evidence of it and i don't know i mean i guess i can't really like definitively say right it's not but what are the odds that it is you know like, yeah. so so it's, it's a good idea to pretty much question everything is what you're saying all right uh a little bit yeah i mean definitely look into everything right for yourself check it out check out everything um but yeah so like my i, I did want to ask you um when you graduated, um, the other thing is like you're one of the smartest guys that we know, right? Uh, you're a capable, oh, capable that. guy. Yeah, and you know, I'm like, I want to know is like, is this like confidence that you had, or did you feel like it? You built this up, or did you always feel like you were like a confident person? I probably always did not feel like I was a confident person. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I think it's just the fact that I've kind of convinced myself that regardless of how hard it is, I'm going to somehow I've been doing it right. I've been making it through and somehow I'm still here doing it. So yeah, yeah. that's, that's what I'll so say about a, that. But that's, that's a pretty I don't know. humble response yeah. from the smartest guy. <laughs> the smartest guy that we know. <laughs> no, like I said, you know? like I said, it's, it's not, it's not a smart thing. Right. Cause it's just, yeah. uh, I've taken in more, like I've read more. Right. And that's like totally fine. You guys can do it too. It's not like anything that's not like inherent about me or anything like that. Right. right? So. so so like would you say like school is like important for people to do or, or do you think like they I don't need so. like college yeah i mean and i get into the debate about trade school versus like actual college right and uh i don't know i still think that actual college forces you to gain a little bit more of the philosophy of the of the topic that you're actually pursuing um whereas i feel like trade schools kind of just show you how to get things done not necessarily why it is the way that it is or maybe you do kind of see that i'm sure someone who's in trade school would shut their pants if they heard me say that. But I mean, there's, there's clear benefits to both. And I think that a good education would be a fine mix of both. And so regardless of what right. type of education you get, educating yourself somehow is important because it's the only way that we can like uh, single ourselves out in the world, right? We have to know something. We have to be good at something. If you're not good at something, then what are you doing? You're just kind of like a parasite on society. You know what I mean? Like yeah, you have to be good at something. It just seems like, like if it's just, if this was an RPG and this was a video game, do you just sit around all the time? You know what I mean? No, you go like yeah. specialize in something. You go become like some badass, and that's kind of just like a good way to live out life, right? Think about like yeah, what what it is point. exactly that's that true. you kind of want. Yeah. It's like you pretty much do believe like a master of or what is it called? Jack of all trades, but master of none. But that saying goes: okay. Jack of all trades, but master of none. But fares mm -hmm. far better than a master of one. I think it was something like that, right? Oh, interesting. Like interesting. Thing. Okay. 
I mean, I think that that's it's definitely got value to it. I mean, when we were in high school, right, and or even in your early classes of college, uh, you mm -hmm. have to take an English class. You have to read Yeah. some books, right, that aren't really pertinent to what it is that you want to learn or do, uh, or history, you know what I mean? You can't, you could be like the best at something, but I guess it's like more enriching, right, to want to have a rounded knowledge, uh, be a little bit, I don't know, y
and I had a few patents that I've been filing for the past couple of years, and I've been dealing with this one that's just been kicking my butt. But yeah, I just want to pursue all of those to the much as wow. much as I can. Uh, yeah, own intellectual property, and yeah, do all that. So, like, I, I, I'm not too familiar most nuclear energy, but is it is it super important? And like in our society, like how we use it for power, is it like just like a big thing that we really really need? I want to say that nuclear energy, as far as our total power consumption, probably contributes to about 20%. I could be wrong. The number could be lower. It's definitely no higher than that of the energy from the United States. And I think the rest are like other thermal type plants like coal and natural gas. And then there's like solar and wind and stuff like that um, at lower percentages. But nuclear doesn't really contribute to the larger scale of our uh, energy and uh, consumption. But I think that for long term, we will be completely energy dependent, like not dependent, uh, self-sufficient and not yeah. require any sort of materials that uh, contribute to greenhouse gases or anything like that, right? Uh, emissions. And yeah, it's absolutely the only way to do it. You, um, I mean, and fusion aside, right? We haven't perfected fusion yet, but fission on its own can do that because the first reactor, that's part of the reason why I came out to react uh, to Idaho, yeah. Uh, the first commercial reactor is called EBR-1. I don't know if you guys have driven out by Arco, but it's out there. And right. the whole purpose of it is it stands for Experimental Breeder Reactor 1. And what they were doing there was they were actually breeding fuel. So imagine if you put fuel in your car, and just by running your car, when you parked it, you had more fuel than you started with. Whoa. Oh, that's cool. And that is the concept. And so unfortunately, what they were breeding was weapons-grade plutonium. And due to some non-proliferation wow. treaties that we've signed with international bodies and stuff like that, um, we've chosen not to kind of keep our fuel cycle closed, right? Which is taking what we, the, I guess, what we burned out of our reactor, refining it a little bit and sticking it back in because we keep plutonium in circulation that way. And the theory is, is that the more plutonium that you have in circulation, the more likelihood of it being leaked out to the public and used for... Uh, nefarious purposes right, right. Uh, it is and so we've chosen to take this awesome fuel and there's there's other stuff in there like fission products that aren't really usable as fuel but you can mm -hmm. we take that and we put it into these big uh repositories and we don't use it and they sit out in fields totally. and uh yeah and they're really safe these repositories they're like nrc approved and everything like that uh so they're not okay. going to be like leaking nuclear stuff into our soil or anything like that but yeah, we don't use it because we want to kind of be a part of that team. And so that's kind of something that's a little off. But I definitely think that we'll come around at some point in the future because we'll have to. And yeah. we don't really need to breed fuel, unfortunately, because we found that every time we look, there's just more and more uranium around, right. which is kind yeah. of the primary fuel source. Uh, but I definitely think that at some point in time, you should just want like a repositories of like back fuel you should want that and the the fuel density of plutonium is way higher than uranium so i mean imagine just increasing that power output of a reactor if you just put in some safeguards uh yeah. to prevent the proliferation which is the Safeguard. dissemination of nuclear material so, so yeah it's definitely going to be so, important wow. oh. yep sorry uh well actually i was going to ask you like i know you and me talked about it earlier today uh but like what do you think's better to use is like plutonium or uranium so there's a lot of things that you have to answer when answering that question. And I'm going to say, for the time being, we're fine with uranium. We don't necessarily need plutonium right now. Plutonium is also a lot more volatile, a lot more likely mm -hmm. to uh, 
go boom if you will right kill people <laughs> accidentally right uh but because you need a lot less of it to get these self-sustaining neutron chain reactions that ultimately send neutrons out into the air and kind of hurt people um due to dose rates and nice. stuff but yeah i mean that's a that's a really complicated question i don't know if i would say we need plutonium plutonium would be really cool it's really useful in terms of energy that we can get from it but um it all it all really depends and there's different isotopes you have to understand which are like different uh types of plutonium and uranium atoms that have different masses to them because they have different okay, numbers yeah. of neutrons and those all of the different isotopes have different properties so when you're really talking about what's more useful you're really asking is there a difference between well, like what's more useful uranium 235 or plutonium 239 which are the i guess big wow. players in that game um but they really have all sorts of different isotopes that can come from a various different uh types of reactor designs and those um there could be some cases where i would choose plutonium based upon the reactor design honestly hmm. so, yeah. so so can, the... can these oh go ahead no go ahead jesse all right, I will. All right, uh, I was I was just gonna ask, like, can these power like cities and, and what for like 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 hundreds or like you know a few tens of years? Like, how long could they come last for? Uh, I don't know the plutonium fuel cycle off the top of my head. Um, and I know that the average fuel rod is utilized in about five years. Um, but keep in mind this is a shit ton of energy that they're putting out on the sometimes gigawatt scale, but high high megawatt scale. Um, I can tell you this. If we had, you know, like a sucker pop, like a little, uh, what are those things called? Dummies, I think they're called. Yeah. yeah. Right. If you had a dummy, right, of uranium-235 and you could properly use it, that amount of uranium-235 could sustain just you, Jesse, for 80 years. Uh, wow. Oh, shit. Need some. We're going to need some. <laughs> right. We're going to need some. Right? <laughs> yeah. Dang. So how far but, in the future do yeah. you think... Uh, uh, nuclear power will be our number one source of electricity because um we clearly need it soon right because if we don't change yeah. something fast we're screwed yeah, absolutely i mean so a lot of people think that uh we can sustain ourselves with just solar and wind if we wanted to but the reality is that we can't there's what's called a capacity factor which is essentially the amount of time that you can be putting out energy uh compared to the amount of time that you actually do put out energy right and what we'll find is that nuclear power can consistently do that at higher rates than any other of the non-emission sources, right? For the same reason that at nighttime we don't have sun and there's not yeah. always a consistent supply of wind. But a self-sustaining uh, self-sustaining chain neutron reaction, that's self-sustaining. You know what I mean? Like that, that can yeah. just go on and yeah. perpetually do so um, until your fuel burns out. But um, those are things that we're going to need. We want high power uh, scales. And not to mention that the efficiency of nuclear is like on average 15 to 20% greater than that of like the best solar panels right now. Yeah. Uh, there's a cool demographic where they're trying to do energy on Mars, right? Mm -hmm. And they'll show a little tiny nuclear like station, right? Some fission surface power stuff. But then the whole, like you have to zoom out like five times to get what you would get out of the equivalent of that with just solar panels. So the footprint is yeah. fundamentally smaller too. You know what oh, I mean? Okay. So there's, there's, um, I guess consistent reliability, smaller footprint. There is the waste aspect, but I really don't think that people consider how like uh, toxic the metals that are used in fuel cells for stuff is. Uh, for um, like solar panel fuel cells, that's actually a highly like toxic thing, and we don't have really? any sort of regulation or oversight to see the disposal of it. Um, and those just go into landfills and leach their way into our ground, and that's probably why our water's so fucked up here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
Yes, but I mean, it. yeah, it's I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a pain, man. I think that so, at some point in time, we'll just see that nuclear is a preferable option. So I just I just looked this up real quick, and the Gallup poll found that fifty seven percent of Americans favored nuclear energy. Yeah. So that's the majority, wow. right? So what do wow, you? Wow, I did not know that. Yeah. So what do you think is happening? What do you think is preventing the the spread of nuclear uh, throughout the country? Politics. Politics. What's the first thing that when you think of nuclear, uh, you think of like a big mushroom cloud usually, and a lot of yeah. unfortunately, even though I, fall out a, four yeah, exactly, exactly, <laughs> it's it's a scary thing, and you know, right, it kills people. Even though nuclear has killed like less people than like natural gas mm. and like coal plants and everything else, right? Uh, it's a scary thing because people don't seem to understand it, and I, I think cool. that we're seeing a little bit more of that education in society, but and I hate to say, it, but the Democrats really don't like nuclear either, so they don't. Oh wow! No, they're they super were... anti-nuclear. Huh. No, they don't. Uh, so the Democrats are primarily pro the non-proliferation treaty, which means that they favor a once-through cycle, so that there is waste, mm -hmm. right? And because of that waste presence, and due to their lack of understanding of that waste, uh, they just think it's like a pollutant thing. Hmm. And that's kind of like the biggest argument that you'll hear about nuclear is that you're going to have a whole bunch of waste, and what are you going to yeah. do with it? And it's going to be around when your grandchildren are still here. But there's like so, things that we could be doing to utilize that waste as energy, and we're just not. Right. Wow. Huh. And but so it, that's what that's what I was thinking. Um, I've talked about this with uh, my girlfriend Madison. She she works in science right now, or she's uh, studying science right now, um, going into ecology or whatever. And I was talking to her mm -hmm. about how when scientists release these studies, they are loaded with jargon and a lot of things that people don't understand. Um, and so I was thinking, do you think if you guys were able to market your stuff better? Because the, the average American reads at an eighth grade reading level and these mm -hmm. studies go okay. out and like and they're super complicated. Right. Um, so do you think if you guys oh, yeah. were able to market your thing better, you think it would be able to reach more people that way? Absolutely. Yeah, there's definitely like a need for marketing in nuclear. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, and I think that just people need to be educated a little bit more yeah. about it. Yeah. I know that in places where there are nuclear power plants that are active, I mean, unfortunately, I don't think Idaho has any commercial reactor plants. We have a lot of uh, experimental reactor plants, which just are primarily used for tests and stuff, but not to put power on the grid. Uh, in those places where there are uh, commercial plants, those plants are highly active in their communities for that mm. very uh, same purpose. And there's this wow. overseeing body called the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, who I uh, work for, and they, their whole goal is to provide oversight to the nuclear industry. And that doesn't exist for any other industry, right? You may talk to some people and they'll say, well, I'm not pro-nuclear or I am pro-nuclear. Regardless of that person's stance on that question, they're pro-oversight for nuclear, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that what we see is they're is a desire for people to be educated but there isn't a lot of venues to get things right. across as much as they could be and right. uh yeah and unfortunately politics plays a huge 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 role in it i mean yeah 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 do, do, do you think like the waste though that it, that it produces like manageable though like it's it, you do think it's pretty much manageable i mean we have been managing it uh we've been doing mm -hmm. it pretty damn effectively we haven't had any sort of like issues but i do think that we it's like waste it like it's a waste that we're we're wasting you know what i mean because i'm telling you there's energy in there that we could be using for a long time uh and we're wasting it and so it's it's the waste word is very literal unfortunately and uh, uh yeah. yeah but hopefully in a few couple years we'll have well not in a very by the time we're 50 I, i'll bet yeah. i'm probably wrong but right. we'll have fusion and if we have fusion then we don't have to worry about wasting anymore. yeah so I like 
Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, like, uh, what do you think is better, by the way, electric cars or hydrogen-powered cars? What do you think would work better? I've been looking at the hydrogen-powered ones. They're cool. Um, I've been looking at the hydrogen-powered ones. I still think that electric cars have a little bit more consistency to them mm-hmm. uh, because they're batteries. Um, and I guess it asks better with respect to what, like the environment. Uh, if it's the environment, yeah. then hydro cars are cleaner because uh, again you still have fuel cells inside of the batteries of the cars not, not to mention that but you'll see those uh i haven't seen them in idaho but there's tesla charging stations that tesla puts out for cars yeah right and those i'm largely under the impression they're free and i could be wrong but i'm very much under the impression that you can just kind of stroll up charge your car not pay anything and then it's actually an incentive that the city gives because of that but what you actually have is behind that little beacon of energy for your car to recharge if you go back all the way to the grid, you'll find that a coal plant is producing the energy for it. You know what I mean? Mm. And that is, uh, we have electric cars running on coal is a largely what we see in that, or natural gas. I didn't even think of and that. And it's uh, not implemented to the extent that it needs to be. We, we need to fundamentally revolutionize what it means to get our energy from a green source and apply that everywhere uh, before mm-hmm. things can really be effective. And yeah, I, I mean, the hydrogen is just going to be hydrogen won't really uh i believe that they make water out of it is that how the yeah works? yeah that's yeah. it yeah yeah that's that's cool uh limited in supply for fuel and i mean people need to get places but in terms of better for the society i think so great yeah. so I, I do have a I like one last kind of question for you um yeah, so i i know you're gone a lot right like you live out here and you're originally from texas right mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure you have a relationship um my question this is a personal question but like Okay. Like, this is like, how do you manage that? Like, how, like, is do you feel like, like, how do you feel about being in like a relationship, like being far away? I mean, I so I've been dating my girlfriend for a long time, and uh, I've dated a few females before her, and no one has quite been as cool as she is. She's a uh, fair lady, and uh, uh, I don't know. She's she's cool, and never really been someone who was super dependent upon me, and I don't think that is vice versa. I mean, surely like. I'm dependent on her for some things, maybe. Uh, but really just for happiness, I would say. And even though I'm out doing my own thing, I know she's out doing her own thing. I kind of... Uh, that's horrible. But I really don't like when I see people not really doing anything with their particular lives, but investing in the whatever their career of their significant I, other is. I feel that. I see a lot of that. Uh, I have some sisters who are doing that. And they're very happy, and their husbands are very nice, and all that jazz. And they can have that relationship. I don't know if it's something that I could personally respect. I would want someone to right. put their own passion. My girlfriend definitely has her own like passion job, even though I think it's mm-hmm. kind of boring. She thinks the same thing about everything that I do. <laughs> and I really like that a little yeah. bit. Uh, she's, yeah, she's kick-ass. She has all her shit figured out for the most part. And she lives on her own. She does everything. So, yeah. And you guys have been dating since yeah. high school, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. She was the mascot. Really? So, so, yeah. That's yeah. so cool. Mm-hmm. How did, yeah. did, did Never yeah. got to sleep with the cheerleader, but I got the mascot, right? So, yeah. 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 Even That's better, a, bro. Even you better, dude. That. That's a rare, Heck bro. Yeah. You're the mascot. Yeah, shit. <laughs> yeah man. Yeah. Does a relationship like that, like, does it take like a lot of work or is it just like, is it like something that, you know, that. That's the thing. No work, work is really like, a, no, because like all these, and I mean, it's been a while since I've been dating, but I dated a lot and there was a consistent theme of, the status of my relationship being dependent yeah. upon how good of a texter I was. 
I don't fucking uh, text. I mean, you know what I mean? I'm not a good yeah, texter. I'm not yeah. going to try to hold some conversation with you right, over that. the phone. Ha ha. You know what I mean? Like, no. Like, and yeah. it comes to the point yeah. where I don't have to satisfy that whole thing with uh, her name's Lexi. With Lexi. Yeah. And so, yeah. no. Yeah. I, I love it. It's, yeah. That's, I forget the actual question, but I think that that answered it somewhat. So. Oh, that did, man. That really did. Um. All right. So one, one final question. Uh, do you play Stealth Archer or do you do Necromancer on Skyrim? Sword and Shield. No. <laughs> you know, Sword and no, Shield. I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking, bro. Um, I have to so... tell you, though, the last time that, just as a just quick aside, the last time I fucking played that game, I had a whole bunch of companions and I was a conjurer and all I had was a shield and I just had people fight my battles for me. I had an I army and I just sat there with the big old shield. It was awesome. <laughs> Sorry. Cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but anyway, the real question was, um, any last piece of advice you could give anybody in college? Um, and like, whether that be for career advice or academic advice, or, you know, you're just your best piece of advice for anyone. Don't give Sam, up. Don't give up. All right. Don't give there up. You, you can do it. I guess that's some suffragette stuff, but you can do it. You really can. You just have to convince yourself that you can do it. Yeah. Convince yourself. Awesome. That you and even if you can't it. convince yourself to do it, try at the very least, because if you don't just try, then you'll never. Idea. Yeah. Never just succeed, do it. So. Oh, yeah. All right, Rodrigo. All right, well, I'll wrap it up then. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> thank you guys for. Um, Thanks for having me, by the way. I really yeah, appreciate dude, it. Yeah, dude. Of course. Uh, anything else you guys got to say? No, just a, just a big thanks to Kian just for taking yeah, the time out of his here, day man. to come out here and talk with us. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Learned a lot. Anytime, guys. Well, all right. Well, we appreciate you guys. Um, stay connected to all our social medias, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, follow it. Plunk. Appreciate everything yeah, get us on, on Plunk, Plunk, dudes. Um, go ahead, Oscar. Um, so we have an official partnership with Plunk.me, and it's a social media platform exclusively for college students. Um, and we're soon going to be posting a lot more content on there. Um, so if you just want to check that out, go ahead. And I just wanted to add that uh, we love you guys. Um, we appreciate that you listen to us. Um, we will be making content every week for you guys. We love you and take care. Yeah, that would be it for us. Um, have a quick, guys. Keep going, whatever you And we appreciate all the support. We love y'all.